again, Lord. We allow your word to align our life, to align our heart, to align our will with your will, God, to do the work in us, Lord, that we can't do. Do and allow it to shed light on areas of our life, Lord, and our heart, Lord, that are beyond our sight, beyond our discerning, God. And we're asking you to uh, reveal, God, things that are unnecessary, Lord, things that hold us from you, keep us from you, God. So I pray today, Lord, you give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, eyes to see. Lord, we need you so much. We're desperate for you, God. We need you not just to, 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 for salvation and eternity, Lord, but we need you so we can live this life, so we can walk in and be all that you've called us to be, Lord. So we're asking you for that today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, chapter 23, Saul is pursuing David, and we end up in, in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul is chasing David around a mountain, and around a mountain. And Saul separates his troops. Some go one way, some go another, and they're about ready to capture David. And a messenger comes. Coincidentally enough, a messenger comes. David, or Saul could care less about the Philistines attacking uh, Keilah, but all of a sudden a messenger comes and says, hey, the Philistines are attacking the land, and, and it bothers Saul enough where he has to leave, and he has to go pursue. And help comes to David unexpectedly, and he, and he goes back to this rock. He calls it the rock of escape. God will do that. He shows up out of nowhere. When you're about ready, the enemy's closing in on you, and he just shows up. Gives you victory and strength and, and encouragement and everything you need. And, and, and these are all lessons David is learning, right? And, and we're going to pick up in chapter 4 the same way. And, you know, God's not working I think I said it last week, God's not working overnight, God's working over time, right? God's working over time in David's life, and David isn't on a shelf, David is in seminary, and David might feel like he's on a shelf, David, like, Lord, this isn't what you promised, this isn't what, it look, what I thought it would look like, when Samuel dumped that bucket of oil over my head, uh, but this is what God is choosing to do, to make David the man that he needs to be. He's in his internship in the wilderness. And we're going to see here, uh, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 24, it's this encounter with David and Saul. And then the rest of the chapter is this conversation that they have back and forth. And, and, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Verse 1, it says, it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, he had been battling them, possibly driving them out of the land. All of a sudden, here comes someone saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Uh, and Engedi is, is this west of the Dead Sea. And you guys maybe know this, maybe not. Maybe some people have been to Israel here. It's west of the, of the Dead Sea. And it's Barren desert, it's a wilderness, but Engedi is this place uh, that, where these two springs just bubble up out of the ground, and it's like an oasis, and, and, and there's caves. Uh, in that region, it's 120 degrees, 110, 120, if you guys like it hot, that's where you want to go, but there's an oasis there, and, and that's where David goes, and, and uh, it's the place of the goats, uh, that's what it means, and when you go there, uh, I haven't been there. I'd like to. Uh, there's these ibex, these goats that you'll see in the cliffs with these long horns. Uh, and, and so you'll, you'll see those ibex. You'll also see these little uh, rodents um, that are, uh, Solomon said that, that they're, um, they are called, what are they called? Why does that escape my mind? What are they? They're the conies, right? Yeah, yeah, they're the conies. And, they're the, and, and Solomon said that they're a feeble folk, that, but as weak as they are and feeble as they are, 
They make their den in the rocks. They find a place where that's secure. And that's really the identification. That's where David is. David's weak. He's like the, one of these conies. He's in this desert place where it's hot. He's running for his life. But he's like a coney. And he's making his, his, his home in the rocks. There's security and safety there. And, and, you know, so David is there. It's a great vantage point to see the enemy. Uh, and, and, and he's just living in these caves. He's probably having barbecue every night, probably killing these, these goats. And all right, let's barbecue. We're safe here. We can see what's going on. And all of a sudden, someone comes to Saul and says, take note. Dave, I know where David is. You know, maybe, maybe this guy's humming a tune, like, hey, Saul, you remember, you know, David, did you forget about him? And, and that's the way it is with some people. Hopefully that's not the way it is with you, but some people like to stir up trouble. They just have something to say. They just, they know how to get people going. And that's what happens here with Saul. This guy shows up and says, hey, you remember David? He's in En Gedi, you know? It's, you know, you remember that guy, right? And, and that's what gossip, division, people just come in and they start talking, 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 and, and stirring up trouble. And that's what this guy is doing. He's like, oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got to go after David. That's crazy. And something we need to remember, on the heels, trouble, battle, you know, the Lord came through so big for David at this, this rock, at this place of escape. The battle's not over yet. And probably this battle, more than any other battle up to this point, David has faced, this battle is bigger, right? David has faced a lion, a bear, Goliath. He's killed, you know, 10,000 Philistines. But now he's going to come up with another battle something else, and it's, called, it's going to be called self-control. He's going to have to control himself. And it's bigger. He's going to have to do what's right. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard to restrain yourself. Especially when our life is in a pattern. We're in a rut. We're doing something in our life where we just can't seem to get out. And, and, but David here is, this is going to be a challenge for David. And he comes through with flying colors. It says in verse two, and Saul took 3,000 chosen men. He hears that and he take, gets these 3,000 men. We read about them, I think in chapter 14, where, where Saul's got this army, but he's got 3,000 chosen men, 1,000 with Jonathan, 2,000 with himself. So Saul takes them all. And he went out to seek David and his, and his men in the rock of the wild goats. And sometimes that's the way it feels when you're going through things in life. Like you're outnumbered. David's outnumbered five to one. Five to one here. And, and it's this elite group, but it doesn't matter. God's teaching David it doesn't matter. Numbers don't matter. David needs to do what's right. Keep doing what's right. And if you remember... Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you fear. Sometimes your emotions get the best of you. If you remember uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, he helps his nephew Lot. And, and Lot is, is, there's an attack on Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot makes his, uh, you know, puts his address in permanent residence there. And there's a battle. And Abraham hears of it and it says he, he gathered 300 and I think 13 men to go fight against these kings that were going against Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes and fights and rescues everyone. And, and then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and these other, I think it was two or three kings, three kings, they offered him money. Hey, take this money. We want to give you something for helping us. And Abraham wouldn't take it. And then in the next chapter, chapter 15, God shows up on the scene and tells Abraham, because Abraham's questioning now. All right, what happens now? All these other kings have left. What if these guys, these other four kings, come and want revenge on me? What if they come after me? So he's thinking that in his head. 
And he's probably thinking, well, why didn't I take the money that they had, the gifts they were going to give me? We could have used them. And then God shows up on the scene. He says, listen, Abraham, I'm your shield. Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't even say Abraham questioned that, but he says, I'm your shield and I'm your exceeding great reward. Abraham, I'm everything you need. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about people coming after you or, you know, you know how you're going to live your life. You've saw my hand of provision. You've seen my hand of protection. You can trust me, right? And that's what God is, is teaching Abraham, and, and, and he's teaching David that, that you can trust me. All of a sudden, these guys show up, tons of troops. Solomon will say in, in Proverbs 21, verse 31, the horse is pre- prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord, right? Some trust in horses, David would write. Some trust in chariots. That's the modern-day tank, right? But we'll get, we're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. God is protecting you. It doesn't matter if you're outnumbered at work or at home. You're the only Christian or, or whatever's going on uh, in your scenario. If you're doing what's right, if you're walking with the Lord, God is on your side. He's protecting you, walking with you. But it's a lesson David's going to have to learn. A lot of times the lessons that we learn until we go through them, they're just logged in up here. They're logged in in our mind. We know them. We know a scripture. Sometimes we even quote that scripture to people that are going through it. Oh, listen, you turn to this, or, you know, and we'll send them that scripture. But then when we're going through it, it's like, what the heck? And we're scrolling through our text messages. What was that scripture I sent? Right? And then, you know, there it is. And man, we hold on to it with both hands. Because now we're going through it. And it's hard and difficult. We got to remember these things. And, and God is teaching David through all this. And, and so Saul, 3,000 men versus 600. These elite soldiers versus the, the kind of the, the, the left behind the offcast guys, the outcast. And it says they came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. He came to the sheepfold by the road just so happens there's a cave. And all of a sudden, he's walking by the cave, and it says that Saul went to attend to his needs. Some people think he went in to take a nap. That could be. Probably more than likely, what's happening here is Saul has to use the bathroom, right? And if you've ever been on, in a place, the most unco- if you're traveling, the most uncomfortable thing to do is like, oh, man, i got to use the bathroom, especially if you're on a plane, like, oh, gosh. Can we hold it another three hours until we get, like, the, 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 the whole bathroom is this, this big, and we're like, oh, I can't go in there. Terrible. But that, and, and, you know, some places you go on a mission trip, the, the bathroom's fine. It's normal. Sometimes it's not normal. A lot of times it's not normal. It's not like America, right? Uh, if you go to Africa, it's, you know, maybe a room. It's a little bigger than this, but there's no flushing in anything. It's a hole in the ground with a slab of concrete over it with a hole in the middle and you got to aim right and that's that's then it's uncomfortable like it's easy to aim what Saul's doing is probably harder aim uh he has to take off his robe yeah you know what's what's taking place we're going to see Saul has to take off his robe and and you know it's not a coincidence. God is orchestrating all these things for David. It looks dismal for David. It looks like this is the end. And sometimes we feel that way. David already felt that way. We looked at it in chapter 23. David is like, oh my goodness, here comes Saul's men and here comes Saul's men. And he sees them. It's recorded. And then all of a sudden it's over and they leave. David's like, this is the rock of escape. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to, every time I come to this hill, I'm going to visit this rock because this is where God protected me. And this is going to be another scenario where David is going to mark it down. If you write in your Bible, in your journal, in your, God gave me victory here. He helped me here. He stood in the gap for me here, right? You might have had a victory in your life. Listen, the battle's not over. 
There's something else coming. It's not done. It wasn't done for David. It's not going to, after today, it's going to look so promising for David and how he handles Saul. But the battle's not over. Saul, we're going to see because of the way David handles Saul, there's a brokenness in, in Saul. There's a humility. There's an acknowledgement. But it's not over. It's not over. And there's a danger in that. Saul is trying to ambush David. And guess what? David was on the recesses of that cave. He just so happens of all, and you, you can look at pictures, and some people have probably been there. Tons of caves in Engedi. Tons, lots of them. I mean, you just, all right, I'm using the bathroom. I got to go. Guys, this looks like a good cave. It's big. It's, you guys stay out here. And he goes in all by himself. And it just so happens that's the exact cave David and all of his men are in. And they're chomping at the bit. They're like afraid of Saul. They've been running and running. And these guys are angry. That's why they're gathered around David. And all of a sudden, Saul walks into the cave all by himself. He, you know, if you've ever gone into a dark room or into a house, even when it's really bright out, you don't have your sun, sunglasses on, you walk in and things are like, takes a minute to see. But people that are in the house are like, hey, it's me. You know, you're, you're waving to them you're, and, and they can't quite see you yet. That's the way it is. Saul walks in and all these guys, their eyes were already acclimated and they see, oh, here comes Saul. He's all by himself. Crazy. And they were just sitting there. Doesn't matter how cunning or sly Saul has been or, or in pursuit, God is still in control. And it says this in verse 4, The men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good to you. And David arose, secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Cutting corners. Cutting corners, right? David being tracked. Tired, been hunted, living in the wild, it's going bad to worse. David's men see this as a great opportunity. Like, this is it, David. And they give him a scripture. Here's your scripture. Let's kill him. Right? These guys are well, well meaning. You know, we can end it right here. David, we've been running. Saul knows what's going on. You know what's going on. We're sick and tired of this. Let's end it. And they're trying to influence David using even the scriptures. We know that the devil does that. The devil did that with Eve. That's, how, that's why Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He used his words to kill Eve. He deceived her. And it killed her. Right? The devil tried to deceive Jesus that way, he tried to give him a way of escape outside of the cross. He says, listen, he went, took him to a high mountain, it says, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How did the devil do that? I don't know. I don't know. But the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. That's why Jesus came, to redeem mankind. And the devil says, listen, I'll give you everything. You can have it all. Bow down and worship me. Right? Here's a way of escape. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do this. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus uses the word on him. And the devil will use the word. Right? Devil will use, he knows the Bible. He knows the Bible probably better than everyone here put together. He's no dummy. He uses it. And these guys are trying to use some spirituality with David. Listen, this is the day, behold, that, that the Lord said. Didn't God say this? He's delivering your enemy into your hand. And he cut, David rises up and he cuts the robe. Saul had probably taken off his robe to use the bathroom. Cuts his robe and, it said, and, and Saul doesn't know anything. It happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him he had cut Saul's robe. It's, you know, that's how sensitive David is. David is this, 
this. That's why we love David. I love reading about David. I, I, you know, David is that guy. He's a warrior. He's fought a bear, a lion. He kills Goliath above all the, every soldier that Saul had. He goes out there and kills Goliath, this, this, this young man who's just a shepherd. He goes out there like, what? That's, this, who is this guy defying the armies of the living God? I'm going to take him out. And he goes after him, but yet he cuts the robe of Saul, and his heart is grieved. His conscience is grieved over it. Right? He's touched. It bothers him that he did that. This warrior, this guy who he kills people. He's killed his ten thousands. He's he kills people. Saul says, "Hey, you want to marry my daughter? Give me the foreskin of one hundred Philistines." And David goes out and gives him two hundred. Like David kills people, kills people, and yet he cuts Saul's robe, and it, it bothered him. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And if we're honest, we're thinking, David, finish the job. Why? Why Why don't you? I agree with your men. Stop it. End it right here. Right? Would you have been able to just cut somebody's, take the time, what if he got caught? Would you have, or would you have just said, this is over. Done. We're ending this right now. David has this sensitive heart. And this is one of the greatest battles David will face. It's a, a battle of restraint. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's called temperance, self-control. The ability to harm or do something to someone and get away with it. The ability to lash out, get someone back. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Someone that's slow to anger is better than the mighty. And it says, He who rules his spirit and he who takes a city. Someone who's able to come in and take over the whole city, conquer a whole city. Somebody who's able to rule his spirit and have self-control is better than someone else like that. Solomon says, David's son Someone said, your conscience is like a beehive. It should be buzzing and active all the time when it's healthy. Conscience should bother you. If it gets poked when you do something that you know you shouldn't, or if you step across the line, you knew the Spirit was telling you not to do that. You know the Word tells you not to do that. And you do that, and all of a sudden, man, you can't, it's hard to go to sleep. It's hard to, to keep going unless you make it right with a person, unless you talk to, talk to someone. Like your conscience bothers you. It, yours should. If your conscience doesn't bother you to lie or to treat someone the wrong way, if you feel like I don't have to get this right, there's a problem. It's been seared. It's been injured. It's been damaged. Your conscience should be something that, yeah, it's God placed it there. Conviction. If, there's, if your conscience doesn't bother you to act a certain way, you need to examine yourself and say, what's the problem? How bad did I hurt this? Who do I have to make it right with? What's going on, Lord? Why don't I feel bad about this? And, and, and the amazing thing is, you know, David here could have easily justified his actions. He could have killed him. He could have killed him, and that could have been all, it wrote, all we read about. That was the end. Congratulations, David, you did it. Killed Saul. God put him in your path, and you killed him, and we could read that, and it could be over. Happily ever after. We could accept that, but there's a different lesson here. Something else God's teaching us, and teaching David, his heart troubled him. And Saul's going to be able to see David's heart in all this. It's, and, and he said to his men, said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David understood something. David doesn't understand everything, but David understood something in this scenario. 
in this season, in this cave. Because David is going to be very honest with Saul. We're going to see in their conversation after this, he's going to lay it on the line. He's going to say in chapter 13, listen, the proverb of the ancient says the wicked from wickedness, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Like what you're doing, Saul, isn't good. Look at what you're doing versus what I'm doing. David's going to lay truth on the line for Saul, but he's not going to mistreat Saul. And he understands that. What David understands is, is that Saul is an anointed vessel. He is an anointed vessel. He's a tool and an instrument in God's hand of refining, stretching, and molding David. Sometimes you pray for that. God, mold me, make me, change me. I want to be more like you. I want to be more sensitive to you. I want, I don't, I want to be more forgiving. I want to be more loving. And you think you're going to get baptism. Pentecost is coming this great gift of the Holy Spirit, an anointed preacher's coming. You think that a promotion's coming at work, or, and, and you know what? And God sends you Saul. God sends you Saul. Here, this is going to work out some things in your life. You're like, what? Wait a second, I'm, I just want this amazing Bible teacher to come alongside me and disciple me. And now oh, here's Saul. That's who you're going to get. That's what you need right now, David. You need a saw. You need somebody who's going to work off the rough edges, chip off those things that need to be chipped off. We get it wrong, our thinking wrong, like, oh, Lord, this is... And, but God says his refining, his trying process, on the other side, we come out as gold. Saul shows up, tool, that anointed vessel. And David understood that. He doesn't understand everything going on here, but things are engaging. And, and David, in this process, is going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. We're going to see in the next chapter a guy that's not anointed of the Lord that refuses to give David some food. David is about to bring his whole 600 men, every single one of them, to this guy's house and kill him. You're not going to give me food. We've been protecting you. And, you know, so David has his moments. But he sees something here and recognizes something here. And, and, it, and then verse 7, it says, So David restrained his servants with these words and didn't allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. Saul knows nothing. I used the bathroom. Thank God I found a cave. Thank God everything worked out, right? And, and he left. And David is restraining his men. He doesn't allow his men to do his dirty work. He doesn't say, oh, well, how could I stop them? I can't control them. You know, David could have easily manipulated the situation and said, well, you know, turned his back. Guy's coming after Saul. Oh, gee, got an itch on my head. Whatever. He could have done anything. Yeah, you know, how can I stop? I can only control myself. David restrains his men, and by doing so, he's teaching them. And he only had to use words to hold them back. Hey, guys, stop. How can we do this? Think through this with me. Think through this with me. He's leading by example. So many times we tell our kids, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. And then we do it. David here is leading by example. He says it, and then he does it, right? That's the best way to teach your kids. If you're, if you're telling them not to do something and you're doing it, it's not going to work out. Hypocrisy. They know that. They got a baloney meter that goes off. What? Doesn't make sense, Mom, Dad. And it says, verse 8, David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and called out to Saul. Look at how David approaches him and what he says. He says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. A lot of things he could have said to get his attention. Could have said anything. He says, my Lord, the king. And he bows down to the ground. Probably with his knee on the ground, stoops down, 
humble, respectful. He wants to clear his name. It says this, if you turn with me to Psalm 54 for a second. This is the psalm that was written as David was in uh, Ziph, chapter 23, when, when, David, when, when Saul was chasing him on the mountain. David wrote this psalm. Verse 1, it says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Vindicate, that word vindicate means to judge me according to your strength, to be my judge, to be my advocate. And he means to, to, to clear my name. That's what it means. God, clear my name, vindicate me from my enemy. And that's what's going, if David would have killed Saul, wouldn't have cleared his name. It would have proved that Saul's like, David is after me. He wants to kill me. He wants to take the throne. This is nuts. And, 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 and David writes this psalm thinking, Saul has this wrong. He's got men telling him that I want to kill him. He writes that psalm, and it's part of chapter 23. In chapter 24, that's his heart. I want to vindicate, Lord, vindicate my name. How can I do that? Put me in a place where you can clear my name with Saul. And David had the opportunity. Now I can kill Saul or I can clear my name. And that's what God's doing. He's putting him in a place where he can clear his name. Bows to the earth, my, my Lord, the king. In verse 9, he says, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Why are you listening to these people? They're lying to you. They're stirring up trouble. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We have the ability to kill people or help people. And people are coming into Saul's life, and they're reinforcing what he's thinking. He's not thinking clear. We know that. And then guys are like, yeah, you're David has always wanted to kill you. I've seen that in him. Him and Jonathan made friends. And man, don't you understand, Saul? David has a plan. He wants to kill you. His whole design and desire was to harm you. Take your position. The setup. So David says, why are you listening to these guys? They're lying. They're not telling you the truth. And he's really kind of making it easy for Saul to repent here, to get right. And David goes on and says in verse 10, Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has delivered you into my hand in the cave. And I've got guys influencing me too. Someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he's the anointed. Right? I've got guys in my life too, chirping in my ear, telling me different things. But can't you see? And sometimes you have the opportunity to react, respond. You get your sword out, like, I'm going to get this guy back. <laughs> Take matters into your own hand. People are encouraging you to do that. Just do it. End this thing. Say that, do that. Might be good people, well-intended people, godly people. Verse 11 says, moreover, now he calls him my father. It's his father-in-law. My father. Look at the relationship we've had, Saul. Been shaky, but because you're my father, my father-in-law. See, yes, see the corner of of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil or rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Judge. There's evidence here. I have it. Here's the corner of your robe. It hurt me to even do that. This was God's divine appointment. Can you see what I'm really doing, David's saying? Not what you think. And, and, and then he says this, let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you. 
but my hand shall not be against you. Listen, I'm leaving this in God's hands. Sometimes that, and that's really what God wants you to do. Lord, you judge. You determine. You, work. you can put Saul in the cave with David and 600 men. You can work these situations out. God, I trust you. In the middle of this situation, I'm believing you're working in my heart. Working in Saul's heart. David loves Saul. He wants to see repentance. He wants to see restoration. That's what he's looking for. Verse 13, he says this, As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. And the way David frames this, he's He's talking about himself, but really it's an indictment on Saul. As the proverb, proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Saul, who's doing wickedness here? You're out to kill me for no reason. I haven't done anything. Jonathan told you that. Your, soul, your servants told you that. I've told you that. I haven't done anything, but you're out to kill me. And, and that's the reality Fruit in a life matters. You should examine your own fruit. What's coming out of your life? What's the fruit of your life? If you have people close to you that you can talk to, spouse, a friend, what's the fruit in my life? What are you seeing? If you care. Some people don't care. Some people come in into church and it's plastic, plastic fruit, plastic you know, and they just want to be a certain way at church, and then they're a different way at home or with their friends. But if you care, you should have someone in your life. What's going on? What are you seeing? And get ready. They might offend you, right? That's normal, but it's good. If they're a friend, if there's someone who cares. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes it's good to have people that just tell you the truth. My wife tells me the truth. That's good. Hurts, but it's good. David says, Whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? He says, A dead dog. A dog, you know, a dog can be hard. A lot of people are afraid of dogs, right? But how many people are afraid of a dead dog? Like they're harmless, except for they get bloated after a while, right? They're not good. They're harmless. And, and he says, a flea, a flea's hard to catch. They're always bouncing around. That's what you have me doing. I'm bouncing around. I'm living here. I'm living there. You're, you've got 3,000 chosen men. I've got 600 misfits. Why are you chasing me? And then he says, therefore, let the Lord be judge. Judge between you and me. And see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I want the Lord to judge, and God is judging. God delivered me. You remember in in, 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 uh, Maon, Saul, you were chasing me. And he delivered me again right here. But every time you thought I was delivered into your hand, in, in uh, in Kila and in Ziph, you were like, oh, thank God, that city has walls, it has fences. They're gonna, uh, that's God's perfect plan. I'm going to go get them here. And then the Ziphites plan to get me over here. This is the Lord, you know, Saul's thinking. But David's like, hey, here's the evidence. Here's what's going on. I could have killed you. I didn't. It takes those hard situations to, to, to move the truth of the word of God from here to here. And that's where David's at. And he learned so much in this. And now we see Saul's response to David. Verse 16, when it, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, and, and he always calls him son of Jesse. He never calls anyone by name. It's just, it's a disrespectful thing that Saul always does. He, he says, you're the son of this guy, son of this guy, son of Jesse. He calls the priests not by their name, but, but the, the, by who their father is. And it's really disrespectful. He's speaking down to people. And here, 
It says, David says, is this your voice, my son, David? Like, yeah, we are related. David, is that you? Oh, man. And there's a brokenness in Saul now. A humility, understanding. He realizes David isn't his enemy. Recognition and a, a regret. An apology is coming. We're going to see this same thing happens again in chapter 26. Saul will say, I've played the fool. Sorry. There's tears here. There's an emotional response from an emotionally driven person. It says that he, Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, you're more righteous than I. You've rewarded me with good, whereas I've rewarded you with evil. You're, you're more righteous. And you have shown me, you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand and he recognized that, you didn't kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? That doesn't, that's not a, a, a tactic of war. Not what people do. Not what you learn. Get your enemy and let him go. Safely. You either capture him or kill him. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. The trouble with an emotional response from an emotionally driven person, there's only an apology and no real repentance. No change. That happens at church. It happens at a crusade. You know, we see Billy Graham crusades, harvest crusades. People go, you know, the, the, the auditorium or the field gets flooded with people. But the people, and, it, and it's sometimes so often an emotional response. They're moved by the word of God. There's, there's an understanding of truth. A heart that starts to soften and melt to the truth. Because eternity is set in everybody's hearts. And an understanding, yeah, I need that. That's so true. I bear witness with what they're saying. That is right. And, all, and then they leave in a day, a two, a week, a month, a year, they're gone. Just an emotional response from an emotional person. No dedication, no lasting fruit. Turn to Mark chapter 12 with me for one minute. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says, one of the scribes came. So these guys know the Bible. They, they, they write it all the time. And they're having heard it. And having heard them reason together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, asking Jesus a question, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one truth. There's only one life. No alternative way. There's no other way. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God. You know, that being said, that acknowledgement, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the first commandment. And then he says, I can't stop there because there's another one. And the second is like it. It's this. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. When God's love floods your life, you begin to love other people. That's natural. There's no other commandment greater than these. This is what it all boils down to. This is everything. And the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth. There is one God, and there's no other but he. Right? So he agrees with that. Well said. Wow, you said that really well. What's your name again? Uh, right? This is God that's speaking to him. Wow, you're a great teacher. You're right. And then he says in verse 33, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more than all burnt offerings. So he adds to that. He's like, this is better 
than every sacrifice in the temple, every other thing going on. You're right. This is what it boils down to. And Jesus saw that he answered him wisely. Jesus peers into his heart and understands what he's saying. He says, listen, you're not far from the kingdom. He didn't say you're in the kingdom. He says you're not far from it. Because a lot of people acknowledge what that guy acknowledges. They're not going to a Jehovah Witness church, or a Mormon church, or a cult. They're not Buddhists. They're not Hindus. They're not Muslims. They go to a Christian church, but they're not Christian. They acknowledge the truth. They're very close to it, but they're not in. They're not in the kingdom. And this Jesus is like, yeah, you're close. You haven't stepped in yet. Close. And that's what happens to a lot of people. That's what's going on with Saul here. He's close to repenting. He understands what he's done wrong. But there's no lasting change. It's an emotional response. You're not far, but you're not in. We know you can know that by continuing to read the rest of 1 Samuel. In verse 20 says, And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. <laughs> Just this truth is flooding out of him, this understanding. He's unable to hold it back. He can't hold back the truth, but he doesn't hold on to the truth. He sees it. I know indeed that you'll surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. What did you just say? Can you say that again? And let me get my voice recorder out. Can you say that again? I might need to play this back to you, Saul. You'll surely be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me. Kind of like what Jonathan, the covenant David and Jonathan made. He's worried about his descendants. If another king came in, cut his descendants right off. There was no uprising or rebellion that would come. And then he says this, that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. His name would be his reputation, his fame, his glory. Unfortunately, Saul is more worried about his reputation than his repentance. Saul is more worried about what his name, what people are going to say about him than that he would ever change. What are they going to say about me? How are they going to talk? What, are they going to, what would they say? I just handed the kingdom over to David or or if, whatever. He says, man, don't destroy my name. He's so worried about his reputation. And David swore. David's like, and this is the response David was looking for. David wanted Saul to know that he loved him. David swears to Saul. Saul went home. David and his men went to the stronghold. There's no reciprocation from Saul. Saul doesn't swear anything to David. All right, I'm done hunting you too. This is over. This is, you know, great. Let's shake hands. And David's going to keep his promise, but Saul doesn't. It's a momentary change. There's no permanent change in his life. David goes to the strongholds because he knows Saul. He knows that he hasn't changed. There's a couple ways that we're like Saul. Every one of us deserves judgment, right? Every single one of us. We've all, every, the Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve God's judgment. But God can give us mercy, grace. That's what David gives Saul here. Mercy, grace, love. He lets him go. Go to your house, Saul. That's fine. Remember that I care for you. I love you. We can also be like Saul. We can be sorry, apologetic, emotionally driven, not repent. 
There's no lasting change. No lasting change in a life. And you need to be careful of that because a lot of people flood. If you watch a Harvest Crusade or a Billy Graham Crusade, people flood in response to a simple message. Simple. <laughs> Jesus loves me. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And people, it's nothing concocted or worked up, and people flood. Salvation. It doesn't stay. It's not, not lasting doesn't stay with people. It does with some. And the problem with that is it damages your conscience. Reject the, the gospel, reject the gospel, and keep sinning, keep sinning, and you know it's wrong, you keep sinning, and pretty soon your conscience is damaged. It's easier and easier to do the things you are doing. And the message of the gospel becomes more convoluted and blurry, cloudy. And pretty soon, it's hard to really receive that message anymore. You need to be careful you're not in that place where you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel. Maybe at one time you responded to it, but you know in your heart you've drifted from it. You're not living by the word of God. You're not desiring to please God with your life. Enjoy church and worship. But Jesus said, listen, there's two things, two great commands, loving the Lord and loving people. You can't love people unless you love the Lord. There's evidence there. So Lord, we thank you for your word, your truth. We want it to penetrate our heart, Lord. We want lasting change in our lives. We want to be different. Thankful for Saul's, for difficulties, for trials, for things in our life that are meant to mold us and shape us, to expose weakness in us. Not a bad thing, it's a good thing, Lord. The only name we're worried about is yours. We want to glorify you with our life, Lord. We want to love you with our, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. We want to love people. To love people is to live by example, to live by your word, to share the truth and live the truth. We want to do that, Lord. Help us. We need your strength. Thank you for the, your power in our life. We need it.